0: I mean, He's been putting in work for so long. Putting a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 53. I'm John O'Peck, and thank you to everyone who helped spread the word about last week's episode with Matt Austin from the starters. It was definitely one of my favorite episodes to record, and I'm glad it's reached a lot of people as well. Another shout out quickly to the people who helped share the sizzle reel I put together just a bit of a highlight video of the past 12 months of this show. That's on my Twitter. It's on the Putting in Work Pod Twitter account as well, if you want to share it around. This week's review of the week goes to Ringo Stars from Australia, who says, OMG, yeah, this show is awesome. You should listen to it. And thank you very much, Ringo Stars, if that is your real name. But this week's guest is none other than Luke Lancaster, content manager for PAX Australia. Luke came over to the ReadPop team, replacing Guy Blomberg, otherwise known as Yug, who's been running PAX for quite a while. Uh, Before that, he was at CNET, where he was an associate editor, writing and reviewing about all things tech. But he's done a whole bunch of stuff. We'll get into that. It's mostly the PAX connection that I wanted to talk about. Uh, Having attended PAX last year and having such a great time there, I really thought it'd be great to talk to the man behind bringing a lot of that content to the convention. Being such a huge event, uh, it's just a mammoth task for Luke to put that together. It was his first PAX, and this year I'm sure he's got a lot of awesome stuff planned for us yet again. When you think about running an event as big as PAX and you know that it's going to take a lot of work so it's pretty fascinating to find out exactly how that process works, how much effort goes into selecting the right guests and the panelists and the liaising with all the different parties involved with game developers and entertainers, all the things that come into making the event run smoothly. So here's Luke, enjoy the show. Thank you for joining me Luke on this lovely Sunday morning how's things uh, things are good for a Sunday morning I've had a weekend full of gaming which is a yeah. dream get it in while you can mate yeah <laughs> absolutely uh, so content manager of packs that you you know we were talking just a bit f- before this about your tabletop gaming this weekend and I guess you can almost say that's research for your job. Uh, yeah, it's
1: nice to be able to feel a bit less guilty when you <laughs> spend an entire day either playing a video game or playing board games with mates. Um, it's, I guess, a weird aspect of the job. And this is something that I said back before I was with PAX, when I was with CNET, writing about tech and games, is you never play fewer games than when you're working in the games industry. Yeah. Um, mostly because it is work, and it loses a little bit of the luster. Uh, and you wind up playing things that are still good, but may not be the way you want to be spending your gaming time. So just for instance, in the past three months, I've wound up playing like an hour or two of pretty much everything rather than finishing yeah. everything just to stay kind of across the current landscape. Uh, apart from board games, you play board games through to the end. That's my rule. Yeah. <laughs> There's not much point if you're just
0: going to duck out after yeah, an it hour,
1: I guess. annoys everyone else at the table for some reason. Yeah.
0: <laughs> It's funny that. So, content manager for PAX, what is that exactly entitle? Because it's a fairly broad term, I suppose, and PAX is such a massive event that I'd like you to maybe tell me what your job entails. It's
1: hard to give a direct specific answer to that because, frankly, I don't have one. I guess the closest approximation is kind of a curator role and a brand manager role. So, my work on PAX is about preserving the identity of the show and the brand and also bringing in panel content working with partners on how they can make really cool activations for our fans at the show uh helping organize and manage the free play spaces like all our console tournaments and pc tournaments Mm. uh, and the free play areas there coming up with cool new shit we can do like we've had the speed running stage oh sorry can i swear i should have asked that you you can say what you feel like you need to say fantastic um (laughs) stuff like our speed running stage which is just there for people who are at the show to see. Um, I guess that's kind of the easiest way. It's it's kind of an exclusionary definition. So outside mm-hmm. of Expo Hall, I've probably had a hand in what you're seeing at PAX. Okay. So for such a you know huge build-up to
0: an event, what's the actual PAX experience like for you to be there and see everyone doing things? Do you have time to enjoy it
1: or is it just work-work? You make excuses to uh soak it all in when you can um one of the best moments for me was just on day one when the doors first opened and people just flowed into the show uh it's it's frantic on site but it's on site no matter what show you're working you know there's a little spot fires to put out but i guess the goal is to make everyone there think it was a smooth show and i'm pretty sure we did that this year
0: hmm Absolutely. So, talk me through how you got into this position, what your background was, what the experience was that led you up to the point where, you know, a, an event as big as PAX was like, we want you to be the man
1: making the magic happen. Uh, I think it's kind of because I've been a bit all over the place. So, my background, I've, I've worked in IT, I've worked in like trade publishing, I've worked in journalism, I've worked in games, I've worked in um, pop culture. Ironically, the one thing I didn't have previous experience in was events, but that was sort of a bit further down the list because, you know, we've got an amazing ops team, an amazing coordination team who do that side of it in their sleep. Uh, So I think when uh, Guy, Guy Blomberg, who had the role previously, first knew that he was stepping up to a global role to be involved with the PAX brand and they were starting to look for people, it was people he knew kind of in his social circle who had that same network of contacts and knowledge of the local industry and just a sense for what made the show pax as opposed to say a supernova or a comic-con because pax really has an identity to itself outside of all our other local shows Mm. um and i feel like everyone has a story like this with guy uh we were out drinking one night um and he just kind of said to me so have you have you thought about this role Meaning his, it's like, well, I am thinking about it now, uh, and the more I thought about it, I started to kind of build out a case for me doing it, and work on a cover letter and all the kind of regular HR rigmarole that you had to jump through, and it made a lot of sense to get involved with something like this if they'd have me on, and after that initial nod, it was just a very typical rigorous four rounds of interview process. I'm kind of pitching my value to the company in a very corporate way that I'm sure isn't that entertaining at all to tell. (laughs) But I think it was just from my personal leanings towards, you know, gaming and comics and film and tabletop and PC and console. Like, I've gamed my whole life in every way possible. Uh, And being able to... I guess, state a case that I wanted to bring that knowledge and passion and, I guess, way of thinking to PAX was something that the management team there were into the idea of. And it seems like it's been working out pretty well so far. Yeah, absolutely. Like, last
0: year, 2017, was my first PAX, but I had such an amazing time. It made me think, why haven't I been coming, you know, every year for... For however long because it was, you know, so great. And I don't know if it's 2017 was a step up or if it's always like that. But, yeah, definitely keen to
1: come back and see what you guys have planned for us this year. Thank you very much, mate. Like, that's honestly, and I'm not blowing smoke here, that is why we do it. To hear people say that this is amazing, we should come every year.
0: Mm. And, uh... In terms of, you just said that's why you do it, is that, is that the motivation? It's like a community thing? It's to bring people together? Like, how do you see it in your head apart from, you know, the fact that you just get to do this cool job that involves games and all the things that you love? What is the goal for you?
1: Uh, it. I think primarily what I want is for people to do things at PAX that they will remember forever whether it's their first one like yourself and they have a connection to the show in the community there that they can't get elsewhere or if they see something that i know we've worked for months to get put together for three days which sounds very unfulfilling but it's not if you have that connection to a single person in the audience who goes that is the highlight of my weekend And so it's spending 12 months putting three days together so one person finds their favorite thing that weekend, uh, which means you need a huge breadth of different things uh, on offer. It's frankly more than any one person can see in all the time they're at the show. But it is trying to, I guess, connect with people in that way and build up what is a community? It's not an audience. Pax really is a community. Um, And I hope that you saw that if it was your first time there this year, that there's just this inexplicable vibe to the show where everyone is happy to be there and everyone gets on with everyone else. And it's just, you can feel the shared enthusiasm and shared interest when you're in that space. Yeah, it is a really cool vibe. And I guess it's like, it's the birth
0: of many friendships and relationships and, even podcasts and communities and and things that are starting from scratch because of, you know, experiences that people have shared at that event. So, it must be pretty cool to be able to facilitate that. Uh, You mentioned something that I wanted to touch on, which was the 12 months leading up to three days. So, is it Mm -hmm. just the experience of PAX that you're working on for that time or are you doing other things for PAX? Because I know that they're an international group or
1: event. They are. So... PAX Oz is always going to be my primary focus Mm -hmm. over the course of the year. I'll also work on Oz Comic-Con. That's another show in our portfolio. I'll go to the U S Paxes on kind of research and networking trips, uh, locally. Uh, like I said, we do the Comic-Con shows, but it's, it's a slow start to the year and then it ramps up, uh, because really PAX does take close to a full year to put together and, Everything that I work on, even though we do have other shows, even though I'm at other shows, like for instance, I'm going to CanCon over Australia Day weekend, I'll go to RTX, Mm. I was at EB Expo at the tail end of last year. Um, You've got to stay in touch with what everyone is doing. And so even if you're not directly, you know, putting together panels for the show or talking to musical guests, you still are aware that the show is coming. And so everything you do, you are kind of channeling a focus into that.
0: And how do you manage the workload in terms of it's 12 months leading up to three days? Do you have goals that you set like week by week, month by month? Or is it just make sure it's ready by the
1: time it comes around? Oh, uh, no, absolutely. <laughs> you need you need milestones yeah. you can hit every month. Or come September, you would actually probably die. Yeah. Or be murdered. Right? And there are certain things, yeah. There are certain <laughs> things that we can organize and get set in stone earlier in the year uh, which helps kind of you know in promoting the show and being able to talk about it earlier because we can say oh pax is coming but the first question is be like okay well what can i see there? so we like to have kind of big big things we can announce earlier on in the year so for instance our, our story time speaker or perhaps a couple of musical guests or a big exhibitor uh, we'd like to have kind of in the first half of the year so we can finally start talking about the show Mm -hmm. okay yeah i'm sure
0: there's a lot of interesting conversations that go on around that because just from my like limited experience of attending conventions i know like rtx last year was a huge promotional build up to the event and these are our guests and this is the Mm -hmm. main speaker or whatever it it was going to be and then this year just to uh, do a comparison there's been like hardly any hype build up they've been doing a lot of marketing and that kind of thing but the announcements of guests has been like a rollout instead of a You know, release. And I'm sure that that's a decision they made for whatever reason. But are you part of the team that comes up with the approach towards the marketing as well? Uh, We
1: have our own marketing department. Uh, We work quite well. Content, which is me, works quite closely with marketing because I'm sort of organizing all the things that they're going to want to announce. So they'll have kind of key dates they want to hit. Uh, So things like when we first announce the dates for the show or when tickets go on sale or kind of any promotional ideas they'll have. Uh, or ways to reach out to the press, or if we have any guests uh, that we want to talk about and perhaps set up media interviews with them where they can mention PAX, all sorts of uh, kind of just ways to promote the show in a wider kind of spectrum outside of a niche gaming community who knows and is excited it's coming. We'll actually kind of build a calendar of key dates we want to hit, and they might not know what they can announce or what we'll have to announce at a certain time. And so it's like, okay, well, we'll hustle to get something kind of, confirmed so you can talk about it earlier on in the year Uh, and that's uh, sometimes a tense conversation Mm -hmm. um, because uh, if you've worked at all in the gaming industry and with gaming professionals uh, you'll know that getting stuff confirmed is a whole process Uh, and especially like that will often mean working across three or four different departments if it's say the likes of a big publisher coming because you know they've got to sign off on the booth that they're going to have there they're going to need to talk about what releases they're bringing in what we can and can't talk about if they're announcing anything uh, any kind of stuff that they're doing outside of their booth like if they're doing any other like hands-on things across the show and it's just the amount of information everyone needs to be across means we need to be incredibly coordinated all the time yeah um and i'm not going to say miscommunications don't happen i can't pretend we're infallible but Uh, We really have a commitment to working together to make sure that stuff like that goes well for us and the people at our show.
0: That's cool. So what would you say, I mean, is it just the the two years you've been with uh, PAX? Mm.
1: This was the first show I worked on this year.
0: I've only been at PAX about eight months. Eight months, sure. Okay. So in that eight months, what would you say has been the greatest challenge facing you in your effort to make this stuff happen?
1: Ooh, greatest challenge I have faced so far. Uh, I think for me, it goes back to that eight months thing. I came on to the 2017 show with less than 100 days before day one of PAX. Uh, So there was just an obscene time crunch to get everything done. Um, And I think there was a cultural shift for the position I was coming into where coming from a journalistic background you know you went things past your editor and then your editor-in-chief and you made sure everything was keeping in the editorial direction of the of the website and you had to kind of pitch the idea of this story that i wanted to chase coming into the content role at pax it was far more curatorial where if i thought something was a good idea everyone was like okay yeah you should just do that um And there was a lot more autonomy to it, which I really like. Mm -hmm. But there was, I think, a learning curve to that where I could just go out and make things happen and then people like, okay, you made the thing happen. But I think in terms of how that challenged me the most, it's the idea that I'm not just putting a show together for me. I need to keep so many different people and attitudes in mind and I can't go too heavy on, you know putting a hundred tabletop panels on because i would go to every single one of those if i could (laughs) so you've got to make sure that there is something there for everyone who goes to that show even if it's just one thing and then you spend well in my case about three months putting it all together and then it just happens and you can fix spot fires as the show is going on but there is very little else you can do while it's happening and so you just hope people are having a good weekend yeah and i think that that you nailed it there with
0: saying that there's something for everyone because that was my sense being there, like having no interest in tabletop, but having some really close friends who spent almost the whole time doing that. So yeah, I, I do appreciate that you find a way to get something in there for everyone. And because of the amount of exhibitors, you've got independent games there. You've got huge AAA studios from Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo. And even just the guests, you know, you've got speakers from the US, people coming from the, um, I imagine from the UK and all over. So In terms of being the content manager, are you expected to, I guess, deal with all these people internationally and and kind of pull together all the talent for the lineup? Yep. And (laughs) that
1: must present its own challenges, right? Uh, It does. So talent management is not really a thing I had a background with. And to the credit of anyone who puts on a panel at PAX, a lot of the time it will be me making introductions. So you've got a panel on game design and I know this big designers coming out from the US, I'll go, hey, he should be on this panel or she should be on this panel. And I'll let them kind of handle all the emailing and make sure it happens mm. uh, for most kind of big international guests. We'll help the schedule for them, but we kind of hope people will self-manage. That's not to say I didn't get a couple of panicked messages on site being like, where is this person right now? <laughs> because I did. So there's not like a Guardian system like RTX where they have someone following them around? <laughs> Sometimes we will do yeah. that, but it depends on, on the person, whether they want yeah. one, whether we trust them to turn up at things. Okay. Or not. Um. Wow, I'm going to make anyone who has an Enforcer tailing them feel real bad at this show. Oh, now. they're not going to listen to this, um, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there is that aspect to it, but that's more talking to them in advance of the show and finding out what they might be interested in doing and getting them to come out. Okay. Because uh, that is honestly another challenge that pax is presented with. Australia is a long way away from anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it is a big ask to get international guests to come to the show, uh, but we are always grateful when they do and they, for what it's worth, always seem to have a great time. Mm. Um, so yeah, there is... I guess that aspect of it uh, we try to keep tabs on where people are and we try to be very upfront about you know the things they're doing at the show and where they should be but at the end of the day PAX is a show that runs on a lot of sense of community and goodwill like we just trust people are there to do the thing and have a fun time yeah cool so
0: in terms of acquiring talent is there a group of people that will sit down and say who do we want and they're not available who's the next person on our list or is that largely up to you? Uh, That
1: is largely up to me. Uh, We are always open to like discussions internally or suggestions. And we might have someone at work who knows someone who would be awesome for the show. And so they'll make introductions. Uh, Or we might, you know, get an email in saying, hey, look, I've heard PAX is on. I'd love to come down. It's like, yeah, awesome. (laughs) Come down. Here's some panels you can be on. Uh, So there's no standard procedures for things, which I think is something that makes the job really fun. Yeah, well. So much power, Luke. I know. (laughs) I am already corrupted by it. You must have uh, a few people tweeting at you, get this person there, you know. Yeah, a couple. And it's (laughs) sometimes it's like you get it, it's like, mate, I would if I could. And then other times you see it's like, actually, that's a really good idea. So we try to be really, really open to that kind of thing because obviously, if something is coming from people at the show, people at the show want to see them there. Mm. Go figure. Uh, so the idea that ideas and concepts for the show can be community driven is something that I am very into. Okay. Uh, cause I'm one person and I'm not going to pretend I don't have ideas and a direction for the show in mind, but if people want to suggest, you know, guests or games or things we can target that for whatever reason we've never thought of, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. I'll give you my wish
0: list once we're done recording. Oh, please do. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so I asked you what's the hardest part, uh, what would be your advice to people who see what you're doing or hear this interview and think, hey, I'd love to work for a convention like PAX or RTX
1: or EB or whatever it is? Run. Run away. Um, Hide. <laughs> uh, I would say this is more general advice for the kind of games industry because this is a question I got asked a lot when I was writing about Tekken games as well. It's you need to make contacts. You need to know people. And that's not to say that there's a lot of nepotism in the industry at all. It's just that you will be so much more uh, aware of opportunities that pop up and both from a, I will apply for this and someone tapping you and saying, Hey, this would be really good for you. I would also say, be realistic about prospects. Uh, People in this industry work incredibly hard. Uh, And while it is fun and while I don't think I could do anything else, we put in hours. Like, in the lead up to an event, the pressures of being on site, um, if you don't have a way to manage that stress, you will not survive a year in this kind of role. Uh, like, the the first day of PAX, it was a 22-hour day for me. Wow. That's, uh, so,
0: I can do that math. I can do the 24 minus 22, and that's only two hours sleep. Yes,
1: it is. <laughs> yes, it is. So, if you saw me on site and I was looking a bit frazzled, that's probably why. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's amazingly fun, and it's incredibly satisfying, but... It is a kind of work that is taxing. Sure. Um, but if you want to get into it, you know, talk to people, have ideas, make yourself known, and jump on opportunities when they come up because people aren't going to just hand things to you. Sure.
0: So we kind of glossed over some of your previous work. What was some of those jobs that you had before PAX in the in the games okay, industry? Yep.
1: <clears throat> um, so right before I started at PAX, I was at CNET for four years, which is a consumer tech website. Mm-hmm. Uh, When I was there, I was editing, I was doing social, I was reviewing games, movies, consumer tech, I was covering news, just a bit of everything. Um, We were in a very small team, so you couldn't really be too precious about what you were doing. Sure. Um, I also ran the weekly podcast when I was there too, funnily Mm -hmm. enough, Uh, which was amazing. And that was kind of my first foray into the games industry in terms of like meeting people and getting behind the curtain, as it were. Well, prior and during my time at CNET, I was also writing a webcomic. Uh, so that was actually a really good experience in liaising with someone completely uh, via you know Skype and email because they were based in the US and running our own kind of project management, and setting deadlines. Um, if you ever want to get a sense of what it is like to be a creative, write your own webcomic. You won't make money, but you'll learn a lot. <laughs> Before that, I was at a publishing house called Hachette where I was doing kind of coordination and marketing things. Uh, before that, I was an IT project manager for a company called Bytecraft. Before that, we are going back to like university part time jobs where I was like a debating coach, and this is sure. kind of dovetailing a little bit.
0: <laughs> but I guess the point would be that each of these things led to the next one, and it was probably your experience at CNET that introduced you to people like Yug and Absolutely, people that yeah. could open doors. And I guess just on a almost friendship level, they could say, you're
1: someone we like to work with here's something that we think you'd be good at right network i cannot overstate the value of networking Um, and people in this industry are generally quite nice so don't be intimidated you know sure and like just with the cnet job i wouldn't say i've had a linear career trajectory i've jumped around from industry to industry Um, and when i first came on and with CNET, it was an entry-level copy editor job and that just grew and built because I put in the hours and did the work. Uh, so don't think you're above starting a bit lower because you're not, especially if you want to break into an industry. You're not going to come in <laughs> as editor-in-chief of whatever site you join first off, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, Luke,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the last question I have for you
0: is what
1: would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? Ah. Oh. I would totally set up that accidental experiment that gave Barry Allen the speed force. <laughs> Super yeah. speed would be the best superpower. Um, actually, no. If. Uh, no, I need to be very careful and not say things that will get me in trouble here.
0: I don't want to get you in trouble, but I'm really yeah. curious what you're
1: going to say there. Uh, I will actually tell you that when we're off the air. Okay. Um, <laughs> what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Um... Dream job, dream.
0: Line oh, up for packs, anything like that? Uh I would
1: Oh shit. There are so many things. Ah. Oh. Okay, let's let's remove packs from the equation here. Because okay. um, there are a lot of things that I would like to do, but none that I can really talk about right now. Um, <laughs> uh one dream that I've always had is that I really want to write a actual four Marvel Spider Man comic one day.
0: Oh, awesome.
1: Yeah. So if I knew that it was something that I could make happen let's go with that I think that's a fun one yeah there's uh
0: wouldn't be too many things cooler than having your own Marvel Spider-Man comic book with your Um, name on it
1: this is gonna mean nothing to people listening but I'll show you this right now I've got okay uh, on my elbow (laughs) nice for listeners that was a giant Spider-Man head um yeah I've got a Spider-Man tattoo on my elbow um want to talk about challenges don't ever get your elbow tattooed (laughs) in colour too (laughs) oh yeah yeah all right There
0: you go. Thanks for joining me, Luke. And uh, I look forward to PAX 2018 very much so. Thank you very much. See you there. Thank you for listening. That was Luke Lancaster. You can get him on Twitter at LG Lancaster. If anything you heard today sounds cool, make sure you get along to PAX in Melbourne later this year. You can find everything to do with putting in work at 8bit.net slash P-I-W. That is the new home of putting in work. And while you're there, check out the rest of the awesome content in the 8-Bit Podcast Collective hit me up on twitter at johnny himself thank you for supporting this show and until next week keep putting in work